sometimes with the Bible so full of very pertinent things for us today, it's pretty hard to really sometimes settle upon what God wants to talk to us about. And uh, as usual, if a person is in the ministry long enough that he could usually stumble through some type of a message and make it just fine. But I have never been able to do that. I need to know what God wants and what he wants to say to his people. And sometimes it's a little confusing, but in prayer this evening, God called my attention to the 84th Psalm. And it's got so much in it, I'm not so sure that I'm going to be able to get it all out. But I pray that whatever is said would challenge our lives. The psalmist David, of course, is actually praying more than writing. As he says, how amiable are thy tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrows have found a, found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now you might want to do something here, because these verses had confused me until I read from the original, and in translations things, things do get mixed up. It doesn't change the meaning at all, it just more or less keeps it in line. And uh, reach up with me to the second verse. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. On down in the third verse, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And then on up to the beginning of the first verse, yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, blessed are they that dwell in thy house, they will still be praising thee. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are always are, are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it, make it a well, the rain also filleth pools. They go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, our God, our, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusted in thee. Heavenly Father, again, as we stand behind your sacred desk, we are privileged, and we count it that as well as a duty. Fathers, we stand here again, the awesome responsibility we are reminded of, and we accept that. And we pray that we do no despite to you and to your word. We only want to upbuild the kingdom and cause of Christ. We want to turn eyes to you and what you have to say, and we want to receive the challenge that comes directly from you and from the throne of grace. Give us ears, Father, to be able to hear, hearts to be able to feel, souls to long and camp after thee, if these are thee, Father. 
and a mind just to serve you. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was challenged by that because it presented a view of something that I don't feel like in the world today that there's enough on. I was going to have a title for this message. I would just simply call it Longing for the House of God. While we're just more or less going over some of the things that's been said, we need to ask ourselves, and I've had to, and I ask you to do that tonight, that there should always be a longing for the house of God in our life. We should always desire it and what God furnishes in it more than anything else in our life. I might say if the church of the living God ever attains to that one more time, and I'm talking about churches worldwide, then I think we're going to see the things that we, our heart has desired and we have prayed for. In viewing when David wrote this, you'll have to understand where he was and what had happened to him and why he wrote it. The psalmist at this time was banished from his capital, banished from the tabernacle of the Most High by the rebellion of his own son Absalom. When you read after this, you'll find that this exile of his was one of the most painful experiences in his life. And that's quite something when you can say that because the psalmist David had a lot of ups and downs in his life and he had a lot of painful experiences in his life but this is one of the most painful ones one of the first most painful that he ever experienced in his life when you read when he left the city you have to go back into second samuel and you mark that down the 15th chapter and when you read that portion of the scripture you'll find when he left the city his sorrow is recorded by these words he went up for the ascent of Olivet. He wept as he went up and had his head covered and he went barefoot. Now somewhere, somehow to understand this and what a pathetic sight this was to behold, we're more or less going to have to transfer our thinking to where David was, what he had been and the glory he had and the power he had, and in some way walk that fateful path that day with him and recognize what had happened. This was a king of old age. He was driven from the city that he had made popular and he had made famous. And it would have been bad enough had he been driven from that city by his enemies. People that he did not know, but he was driven from that city, banned from his tabernacle or worship place, by his own son that he loved. His home for a lot of years. This was the place of his power. This was the place of his glory. And this was the place of his happiness. And when I looked at that and watched that man and walked along beside him as he was leaving Jerusalem, his capital, the tabernacle where he'd worshipped, had all the power and watched his family, had his ups and downs and still found God a reality, I watched him as he was leaving there and I noticed that this great soul did not cry for what most people would cry for. He wasn't sorry that he was leaving for the reasons most people would imagine that he was sorry about. 
He did not sorrow over and cry because of the power that he was losing. He was not in sorrow because of the glory that he was losing. He always had pomp and glory, and everybody noticed David from the time he slew the giant. Everybody gave him honor and gave him glory. And when he became king and united the kingdom, risen to his life, and he wasn't crying when he left and walking barefoot when he left because of the sorrow of his kingdom, as great as it was, nor the riches that he was leaving behind. You'll notice that great man with his greatest grief arose, and we just read it to you from the fact that he was sundered from the worship of the house of God, that the worship of the house of God had been denied him. And his most ardent desire always was the house of God. And what he wanted more than anything else in his exile was to return to the enjoyment and the privileges that the house of God afforded him. And because of that, we have these words from his lips. Now remember, he's in exile. He can't get to the tabernacle or the church as it were that day. He was an exiled king. And what does he cry for? What is his heart burdened down about? He misses church. He misses the people. He misses the worship. He does not miss his power so much. He does not miss his glory. He does not miss his riches. But his soul is sorrowful because he is banished from place where he worships. I just stand there for a few minutes and I wonder. If our hearts are ever touched with that ardent desire. I wondered with the privileges that the majority of the world has. Church on, on every corner. Lights sometimes light every church almost every day in the week. Individuals are asked and sometimes even begged and programmed. Are presented to them just to entice them to come to the house of God. And yet the house of God seems to lie empty. I had to compare the church of God today and individuals maybe we are involved in it. I can't decide for your life. I only can say that I was challenged. I only can say that something turned over in my spirit. That I at the time I was noticing this began to reminisce in my life. And I had to ask myself the question, am I like David? Would I be sundered from the house of God? Would I want to return to it? And would my soul cry for it? And then I had to look at us, most of us, as we are today. I had to realize that opportunity after opportunity passes us by. There seems to be hardly any regret in our heart and in our life that we have missed an opportunity one more time to enter into God's house under the inspiration and power of God with the glorious privilege of worshiping Him. I had to look at David and I had to sit there by him. I had to walk up that road barefoot with him and I had to listen to his heart cry as these things were pinned. He said, I want you, my chief musician, I want you to write this down for future references for people of all generations. I want them to know how my heart felt about the assembling of the Lord Jesus or with the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted individuals to know how I felt when I was denied a privilege to the place where my only happiness was at. 
And when I realized that, I thought, God, are we happiest in your house? Our greatest achievements and our most ardent desires, is it actually to be in the house of God? These are questions. This is a challenge that God issued to me that I'm uh, returning to you. And ask yourself the question, is be as honest as you can, and yet be challenged by the Lord. And the psalmist David penned these words. He said, how amiable are your tabernacle. In other words, how lovable is the house of God. How friendly, amiable means friendly. How friendly is your tabernacle. How refreshing is your tabernacle. How welcome it would be if I could just open the doors and enter in and worship you and rub shoulders with your people, and hear the singers sing, and the choir sing, and the angels rejoicing with us. What a wonderful, refreshing, and welcome thing that would be. But I am alienated. I don't have my kingdom. I don't have my riches. I don't have my glory. But these things don't bother me. I just don't have my church. Are you with me? And the psalmist David is saying something to us. It was dear to him. I think he says it again in Psalms 26 and 8. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house, the place where thine honor dwelleth. I have loved it, he said. And David's holding his arm. If you'll notice in 23 and 6, his holding his arm was that he should dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have to stand and compare myself. And I don't like what I see. I think maybe you ought to stand and compare yourself uh, with a soul that David had. And see if you like what you see. And see if you like how you feel in comparison to a man after God's own heart, which David was. When you look at all of David's faith, when you look at his downfall, when you look at all the sins that he had committed and, and some of them the worst in the world, and you still hear God say, David is a man after my own heart. Why does he say that? Because David wants to be where God is. David wants to go where God presented himself. David wanted to be in the house of God at all times. And now he wasn't afforded that privilege. I wondered sometimes, Foreign countries have had their doors locked. I wondered sometimes if it should ever happen to the United States of America, how many individuals that never took the opportunity that was presented to them to be in the house of God, how many would cry then because it was not available to them? And how many of us would ask, oh God, the time wasted in my life where I could have sought you and found you in your house, and I did not utilize the time. I think every soul that knows God should love the house of God and delight in his worship. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that God ordained that there be a place. I don't say that you can't find him any place else, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but there's something that God's house furnishes that you can't find any place else. And we ought to recognize that, and we ought to love God for that, and we ought to delight in God's worship. You know, our service is what we make it, not what somebody else makes it for us. Amen? 
And a lot of us have got ideas that this ought to be and that ought to be and something else ought to be and because it's not then, I, I don't know that I can get into it, but a service is what we make. When I walk into that door, what this house becomes is what I make it. What God is to me is what I am to Him. And what you get out of a service is what you want to get out of the service and what you want to put in the service. I've never been to a bad service yet. Amen? I've been to a lot of them. Some seem better than others. But I have always purposed every time I walk into the house of God, whether I do nothing but occupy a seat, I'm going to get something from God's house and I'm going to put something in God's house. If it's nothing but praise and worship and prayer and intercession for the speaker or somebody else's testifying or attention or listening to somebody with a victory report like Sister Judy had and some of the other testimonies, some good things of God. And friends, you can't find that out in the world. You can't find that where any, any every place you go. And David recognized that. And he's writing to us. I firmly believe that he talked to me in that chapter uh, hundreds of years old. It, it become alive. It came out of the pages. It jumped up at me and pointed his finger in my face and said, do you feel like David feels? I have to answer that, and you do too. And I had to answer it as truthfully as I know how, and I said, no, not all the time I don't. Not all the time I don't. If flesh had its way, it would sit down, prop its feet up in an easy chair, turn on the idiot tube and sit there and watch it. If flesh had its way, but flesh should not have its way. The spirit inside is longing for a fellowship with God and with God's people. And we'll die if we don't have it. We have to have communion with not only God, but with, with God's people. David had his reason for the love of house of God. And we ought to have ours. Now, a lot of us maybe don't even know for sure why we go to church. I know a lot of people don't, and I can't answer for you tonight, but it would we could get so much out of it if we really realized why we want, went. Some people go because they feel like it, it's a demand for them, and it is. God tells us to assemble ourselves together and even the more so as you see the day approaching. It is a commandment. But just to go to church because God demanded it of you is a pretty poor thing. A lot of people go to church because it's a social place. It, it, it's expected of them. Others go to church because if they don't, the preacher liable to get on them because they don't go. And all of that are some of the saints liable to ask them what was wrong with them. And so they go to church. And all the time they're at church, they're wondering what they're doing here. But let me say this. If that's the attitude you come to church in, you just as well not be here. You need to find out, first off, why are you in the house of God? A lot of people don't know. But the psalmist David loved the house of God for four reasons and longed. You know, he pined, he longed, his soul panted. It wasn't just a little old thing that said, oh, I just love to be in church tonight. It wasn't that there was a deep-seated desire way down inside, a disturbing thing, a crying thing. Uh, David wasn't at peace with himself, uh, and, he, uh, and he shouts that out in this, How friendly is your church, God? And I'm going to call it a church. How friendly is it? My soul longeth, even fainteth. He said, I'm faint inside. Something's bothering me desperately because I'm not in the house of God. There's something inside that I'm missing. 
And David loved it because it was a place of fellowship. Hallelujah. You don't have to have a hundred or a thousand people to fellowship. Amen. It's a place where saints of like precious faith come and share their experiences. Hallelujah. And you ought never be ashamed to share your experience that you've had over the week with somebody in the house of God. Stand up in your testimony or wherever you're at and share your experiences. Somebody somewhere can get some good out of what has happened to you. There'll be a strength inside that comes from what the devil has already told you that that, that is a frivolous thing. It really don't mount anything. It'll sound silly. Why don't you keep it to yourself? He'd like that. And he gets his way a lot of times. But this place, this church, this is where God has chosen for us to meet together. We can find God wherever we want to. But he's chosen the place, the church, a gathering together for our saints to come together and share their experiences and to share their joys. You had a happy time. You had a good time. Somebody needs to know. Amen. I mean, you can at least look out and say, well, at least somebody had a good day. <laughs> I mean, even if we didn't have, you'll still know that God is still uh, on the end of giving joy. And then it's a place where people know. If you're not, you should know that you can share your sorrows with those individuals. I mean, if you've had a time of sorrow in your life, a time of trouble in your life, the devil says keep your mouth shut, but that's a time of sharing. Tell what has happened. Tell why your heart is sorrowful. Tell why your spirit is down. And let people know that so that they can lift you up and motivate you into the presence of God. So they'll know your experience and where you're at. And it's a place where united prayer is made. Hallelujah. It's a place where praise and adoration admits from our lips. It's abandoned together. We're not praising God for ourselves out there. There's 15 or 20 of us here. And in other places, there's thousands that have their hands and voices lifted up and join the chorus of angels and the seraphims and cherubim as they gather around the throne and say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And we join our voices with that angelic host. It's a place where we can get together and do it. And that's where we voice our aspiration. I just heard an aspiration uh, a while ago. My, my, our desires, uh, Sister Judy says, hey, within a year we'll be out of debt. That's a desire. That's a goal. And that's something I like to share with individuals. That's something that we need to share with, with one another. Because after all, we are the body of Christ and we voice these things as the body. In other words, when she speaks concerning that, she's speaking and telling the body of Christ, hey, look, it doesn't make any difference how many times you stumble or fall or how much your foolishness causes these things. God is still there ready to bail you out. But we have to recognize that we have need of bailing out. Amen. We have to recognize we're drowning before we can lift up our hand and say, I'm drowning. Somebody come and save me. And a lot of people drown and don't even know they're drowning. No call for help. But it's a place there where all of these things are voiced together as a body to the eternal God. And we've got to believe that He is present. I can't see Him. But uh, then I know that He said, Where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. That's all I've got to go by. 
But isn't that enough? If his word is not true there, then his word is not true anyplace else, and I'm not even saved. If Jesus hadn't rose again, I, I, I don't even have a chance for eternal life. So we're basing it upon one word that God said he was going to be there. But the church is a place where we not only commune with God, but we commune with one another. And you see, that's what David was missing. Uh, he, he, had a, he had a time with God. He could get alone with God. I mean, you never get separated from God. Wherever you're at, he's always there. But David missed the communion with God's people. Tabernacle. The singing, the rejoicing, the tears, the sorrows, and oh, the reading of the scrolls, and the admonishments, and all that. He missed that. And his soul longed for he was even faint sometimes uh, for the courts of the Lord. And his heart, he said, and my flesh cries out. I thought, God, something inside of me needs to be changed. I've got to recognize after 30 some odd years of being to the house of God, I've got to recognize some way or somehow what a wonderful privilege it, it is. And I've got to stand with David. And when I miss a chance to be there, I've got to say something inside my soul, turn over. Turn over. Chastise me. Discipline me. Do something with me, God. But make me miss being at the house of God. You see, according to God's great plan, it is literally impossible for an individual to receive all God has got for him sitting at home by themselves. Somebody said, well, uh, salvation's an individual thing. Salvation is being saved. You've got to repent. But then God places you in the body as it has pleased Him, and you know it no more by yourself. You become a part of a body someplace somewhere, and because you do, you need that body. It's just that simple. You need it. In other words, God has placed you, representative body here. That's not saying whether you're the only body of Christ, but I'm talking representative body of Christ here, placed you together by his unfathomless mercy and foreknowledge. I don't understand why he does, but he placed you together, and he's actually said, you need one another. Actually, what he's saying is you really can't exist and be what I want you to be without one another. And the quicker we learn that divine lesson, the better off we are going to be. So David found the, the tabernacle or the house of God. He found that as a place of fellowship. He not only uh, fellowship with the Lord and worshiped the Lord, but he fellowship with those that were like precious things, those under him, those that, that, that uh, was in his kingdom and all of that. In other words, this is the one place that this king that everybody looked up to brought himself down on the level of everybody else within the house of God. And don't you know that that's still exactly the same thing that God does today. We might have different places in society. We might have different incomes and all of this. And we might enjoy different things. But the house of God is one place where God brings us all on the same level and says you're all children of the living God. Not one of you is better than the other. And that's what David loved about it. He hated to be aloof, and yet as king he had to be aloof. 
He didn't like to be aloof from everybody else. He didn't like for everybody to bow down to him and all of that. And when he walked into the tabernacle, then they didn't see King David. They saw the glory of God and King David become a part of them. No wonder he missed that. And God help us to realize that any time we walk in the house of God, uh, anybody, wherever, regardless how affluent we are, what God has called us, if we walk into the place with the most meager circumstances uh, and what have you, we walk in and there God places us on the same level as everybody else. God looks upon us just like that. The psalmist David missed that because he could fellowship with people that way. Otherwise, in his kingdom, he just couldn't do it. It was just that simple. And, and you've got to say, too, on sometimes with our jobs and different areas, there's times when we're just called in a different place, we work in a different place, uh, in, in, in a different uh, maybe culture uh, than, than others, and yet we're separated through the week, so to speak. But when we come to the house of God on a specific time, we come together. We love one another. Our hearts want to cry, God, get me there so I can really feel what it's like to be part of the saints of God. God, get me there. Want, let me want to be there. And then number two, David knew it was a place of prayer and praise. Hallelujah. They were glad and grateful hearts there that poured out their joy poured out their thankfulness to him and hymns of praise, accompanied by a thousand memories of love and compassion of Almighty God in their lives. It's a place where anxious, troubled land. And you know the things that bothers me so much is after all those troubles out there in the world, if we're not careful, we walk into the house of God and there'll be trouble there. And there ought never to be trouble in the house of God. There ought, ought to be rest always when we come there to realize we come with saints of like precious faith. Feelings just as we that understand this. And they should never be. But alas and alack, and you know it as well as I do, sometimes when troubled souls outside search for a place of rest, they come into a place of confusion and a place of divisions. It's not the house of God like it ought to be. It's not what David longed and cried for, but it's what the house of God needs to be restored to. God help us to forget our petty differences and grievances and all these other things that the devil speaks to us and realize when we walk in that door, we're walking in the, the fellowship of people that love us and care for us. Regardless of what outward appearance and what faith might say, We've got to realize that this is a place of prayer and a place of praise and a place where we meet God and one another and a place when we're anxious we can come, a place when we're troubled we can come and we cast our burdens on the Lord and we know that He hears it and that when, when we come with the Holy Ghost and if God wants me to know something, He'll tell me. I mean, isn't this prevalent all over the land? Uh, and uh, you wonder sometimes what a minister is for, what a pulpit is for, what the calling of a minister is for. But the psalmist David recognized that it was there that he got his instruction. Can you imagine the great king of kings who had raised Jerusalem to the greatest and Israel to the highest except for Solomon going to the house of God for God to tell him what to do? Speaking through words that was written of written scrolls and scriptures that had been written down and other prophets that come to David that had been anointed under the presence and power of God that came to him and spoke the word of God and David said, I may be king, but that's God's prophet and I'm listening to him. 
It's here in God's house that God has ordained that his teachings of the living and abiding word is set forth. That's not to say you can't learn at home, but more than your most precious moments is sitting under the inspired, anointed word of God. And that's not pushing man up at all. It's just saying that God has to take the mouth of a human being and speak his word. And it is there that God can do it and he's ordained that his teaching. And David knew that. The teaching of godly enlightened anointed ministry can't be too highly estimated. We need to recognize that. Let me say that again. We need to recognize that. And the reason I say that is this. So that when you notice that the enlightenment and the anointing is not as present as it ought to be. You recognize it needs to be. And you get out on your knees and pray for whoever feels this pulpit. That they would be anointed of God. And enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit. So they speak words of courage. And words of challenge to you. You see it is your responsibility. To lift up your ministry. To lift up the one that's speaking to you. To pray for him. Because uh, he, he's as human as you are, and sometimes even more so. Prone to as many mistakes as you are. To be just as downcast and downhearted as you are. And yet with a load upon his shoulders that makes him want to tell you the truth. And lay the axe at the root of the tree. And let the chips fall where it may. When sometimes you know it's going to irritate individuals. And your loving heart still reaches out and says, God, I've got to tell him the truth. Because if I don't tell them the truth, the day might come when they'll slip and fall. And I've got to show them where they sit today. I've got to show them where they live today. God wants to do that. He puts the burden upon ministers to do that. Any minister that don't tell you the truth don't love you. Any minister that don't stir and, and uh, stir up inside your heart and make you uncomfortable once in a while doesn't love you. But the teachings are there, enlightened. Things that God says, not what man says, but things that God says that touches us. All at once a light bulb comes on. Hey, I see that now. I understand that now. See, that's an enlightening ministry. And it has to be anointed. God anoints it. Otherwise than that, nobody would, would say anything. It wouldn't be driven into our hearts. It has to be anointed. And there's warnings there. It's not always a nice thing that comes from the pulpit. It's not always pleasing words, syrupy words that come from the pulpit. It's not always that. A minister sometimes uttered from real sharp sentences. That's, that's aimed to challenge your heart and reach way down deep inside. He tries to say it in the most loving way he can, but sometimes people have to be startled along his challenge. And so you, you find, find them there. Warnings, exhortations. Sometimes they are probably the most unspeakable importance and value that you have in your Christian living. His words that God uh, moves and motivates mankind to speak in your presence that you might hear. You see, God is not a sadistic God that is always challenging us, but he's a loving God. Because he knows for the most part, hearts want to do what he wants them to do. And for the most part, our eyes are blinded sometimes. God opens them just like that. We don't know exactly which way to go. God speaks and tells us which way to go. That's he does that because he knows. 
Uh, number four, there's probably more than that. If I'd had some time, maybe they got it a little more together. It's a place of divine communion. David says there, or the Lord says there, I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. And to the godly soul, the presence of God is the greatest attraction in the sanctuary. You hear me? I mean, it doesn't make any difference what else goes on if the presence of God is not realized. Well, then we need to get into a place where it is because the presence of God is the most important thing in a church. If it's not there, our worship is vain. So we need to entertain God and seek God and ask for His presence to be there to overshadow us. Our prayers ought to be a long time before we come into the house of God. Amen. We ought to pray all week long for God's presence to meet us there. You see, I don't necessarily just bring God's presence, and sometimes you don't either. And we ought to always ask for God's presence to be there because that's the grand object of worship, and that's when the greatest worship can be attained is when we realize that God's presence is there. But if God's presence is not realized, if we don't realize he's there, I'm not going to say that he's not there, but we just don't realize he's there. You see, sometimes we've got our mind made up as to the way a service ought to be ordered <laughs> and the things we ought to do and what we're going to expect when we get there. We've got our mind made up, and if it doesn't go that way, we fail to see the presence of God or even feel the presence of God. So we ought to recognize immediately God is here, that He is ordering the service, that He's already spoken to hearts, He's already talked to Brother Gene about what songs to sing, already give you a testimony, He's already dealt with my heart about the message of the Sunday school teacher's heart, uh, about the word that they're teaching. In other words, God has already formulated the service. All He needs is for you to come and just be a part of it, lifting up holy hands in the presence of God and glorifying Him because He's there. No matter whatever or whoever, whatever else or whoever else may be lacking, the one essential thing is lacking is God's presence. Because the Bible says, in His presence is fullness of joy. Hallelujah. In other words, if we come into God's presence and come into the house of God and we don't feel the joy that's there, then we haven't recognized that God's here. Because there's fullness of joy. Adoration. Being conscious of his presence. Being conscious of his approval of the service. I don't know whether it bothers you or not. I don't know if it bothers everybody like it does me or not. But as I, I've been at this thing for a lot of years. I don't know how many times I have filled pulpits in different parts of the country. But there's never a time that goes by that I don't ask God to be there. I know if he doesn't stand here with me, I've made the biggest mess out of things that there is. And I know that. I know I don't have the intellect. I don't have the charisma. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the abilities. And if God doesn't have it and God doesn't use me, then I've been a complete failure. And there's never a time that I ever leave a service that I don't agonize before God and find out if he was pleased with the service if he was pleased with my portion, if he was pleased with what I say. And I think every one of us ought to have that same desire. 
I think before we go to bed, uh, lay down on our bed and go to sleep at night, I ought to think we ought to ask God, God, was you pleased with my participation? Was you pleased for my, with my worship? Was you pleased with what I gave you? And if he wasn't, saints, make sure the next time you walk into the service, you're not going to leave till God's pleased with you. I tell you, this one of the most lonely, discouraging things in this world is to walk out of service knowing that God hasn't really been pleased with the efforts that you've made. I don't know about you, but my whole week is messed up. I mean, nothing goes right. I don't feel right about anything. And that's why I don't dare. <laughs> that's why I don't dare do the best I can. Well, if two of you was here, I'd preach just like I'm preaching now. If 2,000 was here, I'd do the same thing. Because I don't dare do any less. Because I have a calling to fulfill. And you have just as important a part in that service as I do. Just as important. Your part in worship. Your part in sharing. Your part in receiving. Has it done me any good? You see. Did God's word... That's a soft spot. Did it hurt a little bit? When that sword pierced inside there, did it hurt? If it did, thank God for it. Did it rejoice whenever I felt that I was meeting the criteria that God had for me? Did I rejoice? Or what did I do in the service? Did I come in? Did I carry a grudge in with me? Come on, don't look at me like I'm silly. You know where I'm coming from. All of us do. Just carry grudge in with you. Just sit there. Pooch me. I dare that preacher thing in me. He better not. The way I'm feeling now, I'm going to get him right between the eyes. Now, I don't like the way the song service went. Well, I always tell people this. If you can do it any better, hey, look at you. <laughs> Come right on. <laughs> Get the job done. Show me how to do it. If I'm not doing it right, show me how to do it. But you see, sometimes we come in like that. We shouldn't because we're coming into a very precious place. Now let me get on you a little bit, okay? Let me challenge you as to be careful how you come to the house of God. I'm not telling you not to come. When you don't feel like coming, that's when you ought to come. But be careful how you come in and how you leave. Because you're going to be charged with it. You're going to be held accountable. I've said it often. There's not a sinner in this world that can bind the service. But the weakest of the saint of God can. You can put a stumbling block. You can bind the service by your inattentiveness, by your uh, grudges that you carry in, by, by so many things you can bind the service. And what I mean by that is it don't accomplish in life what God wants us to accomplish. Now there's a lot more reasons, but having that and being conscious of the presence of God and God's approval actually is heaven in the soul. That's when you really sit in heavenly places with the Lord because you've been conscious of His presence. You knew He was there even though you didn't feel like shouting and though you didn't speak in tongues and you didn't have any goosebumps running, uh, uh, no cold chills running up and down your back and didn't have any goosebumps on you, you still knew 
that God was there. You knew that because he said he would be there. Nobody had to tell you. You didn't have to feel anything. You knew he was in his presence because he said that you were. And to know his approval. To know that God has looked and smiled and said, Hey, kid, you did good for me. I really love you for that. And walk out that door. The devil's got two black eyes. <laughs> he didn't get done what he thought he would get done. And you've got a blessing and you bless somebody else. So for these reasons and so many that we haven't mentioned, the soul that loves God. I want you to get that the soul that loves God loves the house of God. I want to say it again. The soul that loves God loves the house of God. Now, I don't care what people say. Whenever they sit at home and the house of God is there for them, and they don't go when they stand up and say, well, I love the Lord. There's something that makes me wonder whether they have really evolved in the true divine worship of God. Because if they love God, we ought to love His hands. David was not estranged from God. I said that while ago. But he made it plain in these writings that there were some things gotten in the tabernacle that he desperately needed that he couldn't get anyplace else. God has ordained it that way. And whether we like it or not, that's just the way it is. It's not any different. And he made it known that he couldn't receive those things that he needed as long as he was exiled from the sanctuary. And that's why his heart longed, and that's why he cried, because he recognized there's some things that gathering together there in that sanctuary could give him that he couldn't get alone in the sanctuary of God. David knew that. And God will. A very old scripture with a very, very modern lesson for us now. Longing for the house of God. For a day in thy court. Just one day, he said, it was better than a thousand days. You imagine a king crying, not for his son, not for his riches, not for his power, not for his glory, not for his glory, but a king crying for the house of God, longing for it and saying, this is a day you It's better than a thousand enemies. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to be where I'm at today.